0: 7 Reasons Why God Became a Man, out of the book of Hebrews, next on Truth For Today. (music) Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 5, that's where we find ourselves today, on this edition of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our weekend edition of Truth For Today continues with our survey of Hebrews, again, chapter two, seven reasons why God became a man. you have any ideas? Well, the writer of Hebrews has seven of them, so let's take a look at them together, shall we? Once again, with today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our teacher and pastor. Once again, Pastor Phil Howard.
1: people, the way they talked, you would think God the Son began at Bethlehem. He did not begin at Bethlehem, right? He always existed. The person of God the Son always existed. What began at Bethlehem? His humanity. He took a real humanity, and he joined it to his divine person, and they'll be inseparable forever now But he existed all eternities, a pure spirit being. And at a point in time, through a virgin named Mary, he's born in Bethlehem, so he takes a real humanity. Now, there's a heresy called Arianism that said he had a beginning. He had no beginning as a person. His humanity began in Bethlehem. But he was a person before He took a human nature. Okay? John 1, 1, other verses. So keep that in mind. Now, some say he wasn't really a human being. This was called the docetic heresy. He only appeared to have a humanity. It wasn't real. It was a real humanity, a humanity that could die, that could eat, that could feel, uh, that could weep. He was a real human being with a real human mind, emotions. Uh, he was a real human being. Now, the writer of Hebrews is saying Christ was superior to angels, superior, greater. But now he's going to say, but he who was greater and superior stooped lower than angels. He identified with us. He became a man. Why? Why? And I see at least seven reasons in the passage. We'll be looking at it. Just look at it for yourself. The first reason he came, he said, is because he cares for humanity. Listen to what he says. For it was not to angels, verse 5, that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and this is Psalms 8, what is man that you are mindful of him. Or the son of man, this is in a different person, just another way of clarifying, not talking about God the son here. And the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is a description of the dignity of man in Psalms 8 and God's design. He was made lower than angels, but God's got a plan to do something with man he's not going to do with angels. He's even going to subject the world to come under men, not under angels. And he goes on to clarify, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So he's got a future destiny, but right now the human race is a wreck. They rebelled against God. And ever since that rebellion, the human race has lost the authority to rule over the earth. And it's a wrecked humanity. It's a humanity that Satan himself killed in the Garden of Eden. And so, you see God saying in the Psalms, but man, I care about. I'm mindful of his condition. And even though he's lower than angels, I will do something for mankind I will never do for angels. There is no atonement for angels. There is not a future promise for the angels of how they will rule. But mankind, even in a wreckage, he came to rescue us, and he says eventually everything will be put under our rule, put under our authority. He's going to restore us to our rightful place. We lost that in the garden. I think sometimes when we talk about human beings, uh, uh, especially us, who would say we're more Calvinistic than others. We talk about depravity, depravity of man. And by that, we mean man's fallen. Uh, The fall has affected his emotions, have affected his mind and his will. And we talk about depravity, depravity. But we must be careful. Don't make man so depraved that he's not savable and that he does not have worth. He has worth. It's like telling a person, saying, I have cancer. You immediately devalue them. Says, you're not worth much then. You've got a lethal disease. And we start treating the person like the disease. Oh, no, no. I want to cut that cancer out. I will, hopefully will do whatever I can. I am not my cancer. I have cancer, but I'm not the disease. I have a mind. I have a worth far beyond any ravished disease. That's why we fight to save even the child that was born with Down syndrome. They still have value. They still have dignity. They still have worth. We don't get just to rate people what we think they're worth based upon their bodily ability and their mental ability. No. And he says, God sent his son to come among humanity because he was mindful. And it's a Hebrew way of saying, I've got you on my mind. I've got you on my heart. I sent my son to identify with you in your wrecked state. I'm coming not to paradise. I'm coming to Nazareth under the boot and heel of Rome. I'm coming to an oppressed Palestine. I'm coming at a poor time in history. But at the right time, he came and identified with us. You have to ask yourself, what am I willing to do to identify with the people I'm trying to help? What would you do to be identified? I'm reading Elizabeth uh, Elliot's treatment of Amy Carmichael. A chance to die. And what does Amy do? Just like a J. Hudson Taylor, she changes her dress. She fits in and begins to dress like the Indian people. She lives in a hut like them. She adopts every kind of custom that would make her adaptable to them uh, without engaging, of course, in their sin. But she was disdained by other missionaries. You're dressing like them. You're looking like them. You're eating their food. J. Hudson Taylor did the same thing in China. Grew his hair long. Begin to wear Chinese dress. He began to blend in and identify. And this is exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to come among us. Identify yourself with the people you plan to rescue. And I ask myself this. How much are you willing to become like the people you're trying to rescue? You don't have to become a drug addict to reach a drug addict. But I think of John Piper when he moved to Minneapolis. Instead of the suburbs, the churches downtown, he got a a house downtown. He didn't move his kids to the all-white neighborhood. He moved them right down where the church was, where there's a big multiracial community. He wanted to identify with the people he wanted to help. Are you willing to stoop? Are you willing to blend? Are you willing to become like who you're trying to help? Every way you can, I was telling the church that uh, I had a problem when I was young, thinking of uh, rich people. I didn't because when you grow up in the projects, you're not growing up around rich people. You got that? There were no, there were no 401ks down there; hadn't even been invented. But as I went along, I had to identify and learn. The more money I got, they started looking better, because I can't say. I'm down in the projects, that I'm all the, no, 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 compared to where we came from, I'm a rich man. So you see, you can judge people all day until you enter into their world, until you're willing to identify with where they are. And the first reason he came was to identify himself with the people he came to rescue. The second reason is, verse 9 and 10, he came to suffer in order to save. Look what he did. Verse 9, it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's amazing. The word taste there is a euphemism for experience. He experienced death for everyone. His death. Was experienced, what was the great consequence of our sin but death? And he says, I'm going to move into their ultimate suffering. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect, complete through suffering. There's a mystery by, about that verse that I don't know that I can plump. He said, I have come so that I can die. As God on the throne, I cannot die. But I have taken a form in which you can kill me. I've taken a form in which I will experience physical death. And I will enter into that realm and taste of death on behalf of every man and every woman. He entered into this world knowing he would die, and he was willing for the assignment before it ever happened. Why did he come? He came to suffer and to die. He came to save suffering people that were dying and going to a crisis eternity, so he becomes a man in order to suffer and die. Now, isn't that what everybody's trying to escape? And he walks right into it. I think of people who are picking a life's partner. When you start out young, you're hoping there's assets. You want to pick someone, you know, when you're young, uh, that's strong, healthy. Maybe, you know, my father said always check their teeth. You know, be sure the dental bill's been taken. You know, that kind of thing. What assets can you get? You seldom join up from the beginning with something that seems to be a liability. Now, one of the great features of love, and as you see, people live and then go through life together, and one of them develops physical problems. I think of our brother uh, Adrian uh, Diaz has been at the side of Doris through these last years, a lot of sicknesses. It seemed like every time she went in the hospital, she'd get a, a greater infection than what she went in with. She She was always having compound problems. We wondered how many times would this woman be able to go in and come out. She had so many uh, sicknesses attack her. That man was faithful. That man was by her side. I never heard a complaint. I never, he was as good to her as any husband I've seen. We admire him for it. It was great character, great character in the man. Uh, Noble love. Not just the love of youth, But the love of years, and my wife is sick, my wife is in need. And here, we've got a Savior that says, I'm going to come knowing it will be a suffering relationship. It will be a dying relationship. It will be a cruel estate for me. I've chosen to become a man in order that I may die for men. And that's exactly what he did. He took a form so he could bleed, so he could die. He identified with us that much. He goes on to say in verses 11 through uh, 13, I think is some of the profoundest verses in Scripture. Tell me what it means. For he who sanctifies, and sanctifies means sets aside, treats our word saint, sanctify, and holy. All come from the same word. So, are you a saint? How many of you are? Okay. You're not an ain't, but you're a saint. Okay. Every child of God is called a saint because they've been set apart as holy by God. Now, does that mean we've all arrived at sinless perfection? Most of us haven't even begun. God's still working on us. But he set us apart, made us a part of his family. And then, now watch what he says. The one who sanctifies, makes men holy, and those who are made holy or sanctified, all have one source. Well, who's the source? God the Father. We come from God the Father. The new birth puts us in this category. But watch now. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Call who brothers? The ones he sanctifies. Okay, stay with it. Now watch. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, we would say in the midst of the church, I will sing your praise. You know where this comes from? This comes from Psalms 22, the psalm of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you read that psalm, midway through, he starts looking at the accomplishments of the cross, and he's saying, I, because of my suffering and death, I foresee the day that the people I died for, I will make them my brothers. And he said that in Isaiah 53:2. The reward of my death was God's going to give me a band of brothers that have been born of the Spirit but they will come into a family, and I'll be the elder brother, and I'll have all these family members I can call brothers. And brothers is a wor- nice word in the Greek. It's adelphos, and it literally meant from the same womb. We all have the same source, born from above. Now watch. I'm going to sing to these guys, the disciples, that I will be able to call my brothers. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Let me ask you this. Is it blasphemy to call Jesus my brother? He calls us his brother, right? So would he not be our elder brother? Is that a little bit beyond anything you could? It would be sacrilegious if we didn't have the Bible. For us to invent that close an intimacy with God our Savior. He said it. He has made us his brothers by coming to the earth, dying in our place, taking on our humanity, and now he's turned his enemies into his brothers because of this new family of God where we've got a father, we've got an elder brother and we've got the divine help of the Holy Spirit, you are now in a family connection. See, Christianity isn't a giant brain. It's a huge relationship. It's a family relationship in which you are being brought into the family of God for time and eternity. And you call the Father, Father, and Jesus, you're my elder brother. I'm going to tell you, it's nice to have elder brothers when you grow up where they like to beat up on you. And we had a pecking order in our house. Hazel was sent out first till she turned about 15. Then it was Paul. But Paul married too soon, got away. Then it was poor David. Because we'd have kids knock you over, steal your marbles, and left you off balance, all this stuff. And uh, it was wonderful in me, uh, me being the youngest of the family. It was good to know there were reinforcements coming. Because our little mother would send them out, send them out. And I would go through this and go, and one of the kids would have to go out and rescue me. Someone would have to handle the bully. But you see, when you grow up by yourself and you have no elder brother, or maybe even you're the oldest and there's no one to, here it says in Christ I have an elder brother. There is a kinship that he created by becoming a man that is unexplainable beyond the Word of God. You plumb the depths. What does that mean? I am considered a brother of the Lord Jesus. See, in his earthly life, he had half-brothers. Jude was a half-brother. James was a half-brother. He had real brothers in this world, but this is a spiritual family that he created. Now, the fourth reason he came is to forever change death for his family. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy. And the transi- take the word destroy. He might render inoperative. He did not annihilate the devil, but he rendered him inoperative in the realm of death so that he could destroy the one who has the power of death That is the devil. He came, and he personally wanted to strip Satan of power in the realm of death. And look at what he says. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, can the devil kill you? Let's, Let's check this out. How did the human race start dying? Huh? Satan. He told a lie, and we bought it. And when we ate of the fruit, the race died in a day. Romans 5, 12. We died in Adam. What got Adam to sin? Satan. What was his tactic? To kill them. Destroy them. Who killed Job's ten children? Yeah, had to get divine permission, but he carried it out. So he exercised. And then what is one of his greatest tactics in the realm of death is fear. The paralyzing power of fear. Uh, who's going to take my life? Threaten a man's life, and you can, you, he'll do anything. But after Jesus came, They killed thousands of us at stakes to lions. And for centuries, we were slaughtered and killed because we said with Luther, the body they may kill, but the soul lives still. Go ahead, burn us, chop our heads off, throw us to the lions. We aren't afraid of dying because our founder is in charge of death, has delivered us from death, and we'd rather die for the truth than to be alive for a lie thousands. And early church history, they would marvel that people would sing uh, while they were dying. Many martyrs would refuse to be tied to the stake. Lights or flames, I'm not going anywhere. And they would start singing hymns. And if you would go and visit the catacombs in Rome, when you go down there, this was subterranean. It's where the slaves and where the Christians were buried. Above ground, you have these uh, epitaphs of all the philosophers. Despair, I plunge into an endless night where there is no existence. Because the Greek mind says you're annihilated at death. You cease to exist. You go in the tombs and you would see a very common inscription. Forever alive in Jesus. Uh, one of the most common was a, uh, a lamb in the arm of a shepherd or they would have a sail, sailing off to heaven. It was defiant of everything above ground. I'm alive forevermore. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Oh, let me tell you, believer, you just cannot realize the fear that's been removed for us. We say, if I gotta die, I'm going to just change addresses. I'm moving from here to there, but I won't cease to exist. I will continue to exist. I will continue to praise the Lamb.
0: And that brings us to the end of our time today here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Closing out our program, I'd like to leave you with our contact information, especially in light of the fact that this is a listener-supported ministry. And as you contact us, not only with prayer support, but financial support as well, we're able to continue the ministry, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Friday as well, here on KFAX. Please prayerfully consider that as you contact us today with your gift. 855-833-9864 is our phone number. Again, that's 855-833-9864. Or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And another way to contact us, probably the easiest, is through our website, valleybible.org. It's there that you can even take advantage of our secure online donations. You can also take advantage of the many resource materials we have available for your growth and walk in Christ. Again, valleybible.org. It's there that we also have a bit more information about who we are and what we believe, and directions if you would like to join us for worship. Service times are at 9 and 11 this morning, and we'd love to see you face-to-face. And don't forget, as you partner with us financially and become a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a -a once-a-year special gift, along with access to Take a Break, which is the weekly devotional video by Pastor Phil. Find out more at valleybible.org or call 855-833-9864.